Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Levy's America. This week, I'm joined by three guests, and we're going to be going over the recent election here in Staten Island. We're going to be talking about the massive wins the SIGOP had, where we think we went right, and where we think the future of this movement here on Staten Island and New York City is going to be. So my three guests that are going to be joining us, we have Robert Burkhead, we have Peter Junta, and we have Joe Maligno, great friends of mine. Guys, thank you so much for coming on. Um... How are you guys feeling? Uh, we got this huge down ballot win. What do you think's been going on? What do you think were those key points that these candidates focused on? And how do you think that helped them pull this victory? Joe, we'll start with you. Yeah, so uh, I'm feeling great. Uh, I think this is a great spearhead into next year. Uh, we're going to have the big gubernatorial race coming up um, and some other key uh, seats that we need to pick up. So I think this is a very good turning point for us for Staten Island as well as for New York State as a whole. Um, you know, I think the big thing here is that the candidates this year really focus on the fact that uh, law and order was a big thing. I think uh, another big thing was the fact that there is a turn for the worst that was happening in New York, and they were really hitting on those points that it needed to change. You know, voting Republican was more the way to go than voting Democrat and keeping these Democrats in their seats. And I think that was... The big hit from everybody is that basically the Democrats are in what's power, you know, so it's time to change that up and, and put some Republicans into the seats. Yeah, I definitely agree. I think every candidate that focused on law and order hit it right on the head, made sure the constituents knew, made sure their voting base knew. And I think those people came out. We had a lot of law enforcement, regardless of some PBA endorsements. Uh, I know some Democrats received some pretty insane endorsements from PBA and detectives associations, but their Republican opponents ended up pulling those voters. Pete, uh, as the state chairman in Staten Island, our president, I know you guys did amazing deployments throughout the state. Um, I appreciate that. You guys did great deployments here in Staten Island for us on the last Saturday. What do you think the Young Republican movement had to do with these sweeping victories across the state and here in Staten Island? So I think more importantly than... Uh you know, victories uh, in general for, for Republicans across the state. An important thing I saw was there was a lot of young Republicans that were elected uh, to office, uh, you know, town council, uh, town supervisor roles throughout the state. Uh, the city council of the, uh, of the 10 or so candidates that were on the ballot for city council races, uh, half of them were, were young Republicans. Uh, and uh, Ina Vernikov in Brooklyn uh, was one of the young Republicans that ran and won. Uh, the soon-to-be minority leader of the city council, uh, Joe Borelli, won his re-election uh, handedly with more than 85% uh, of the vote, it looks like. Um, and I, I think, uh, in general, it's a, it's a sign of the party's uh, overall messaging uh, changing. Uh, younger Republicans are a lot more aggressive in the messaging, uh, and they're not afraid to take the risks on uh, challenging the left's uh, agenda that, that we've really come to, uh, to despise, especially here in the city where, uh, for, for the most part, most people only have experienced one-party rule from the top down, whether it's uh, the federal government, the state government, or their local government uh, in the city. Um, but it's a good sign that young Republicans are at the front of this change, and I, I hope that we continue to build upon that, especially in the next uh, the next cycle. Yeah, I think that's a great point. I mean, we've had 
young Republicans, like you said, as candidates, as incumbents, and also a lot of young Republicans were leading these races, whether it was campaign managers, field directors. We had a presence throughout the state. We had a presence throughout the city. And I think we really showed that we are a key part of this movement. We are a key part of flipping these seats and making sure our districts stay red and that we have the right people representing us. So, Rob, you've been involved with Staten Island politics for years now. Um, I would say you know this district just as well as anybody I know. What do you think we learned about the voters here in Staten Island and what they really want and how they reflected their vote for these candidates? How, how can we, going forward, pitch to our constituents and really get them what they want and represent them the right way? So, Bobby, just want to thank you for having me on. Uh, Joe and Peter, uh, thank you for the work that you do. Uh, Peter is a wonderful chairman of our New York now, uh, Young Republicans, and uh, Staten Island uh, YRs. And uh, the deployments, as mentioned, are just a phenomenal aspect and a reason why um, the vote turnout this past election cycle was was so great, along with the many volunteers that came out. I think voters on Staten Island want to be updated on the issues in real time. They want to talk to their candidates. They want to express themselves. They want to have the town halls. They want to hear what you're doing. Um, and I think that our elected officials and, and those who the party puts up are those elected officials who bring the message directly to the constituents on a daily basis. And I think the teams that they've all assembled on their staffs, their campaign teams, the volunteer network, our wonderful chairman of the Staten Island Republican Party, Anthony Reinhardt, um, just these candidates put forward, they're good people as as far as as also as much as good elected officials and i think that that is a resonating message that just carries throughout the district and knocking on all these doors talking to all these constituents you know they have real issues with what's going on i think this election cycle the mandates education taxes speed cameras IRS infringement, I think it all plays a role into what's infuriating. And people don't feel like they have a voice, and so they make their voices heard on Election Day. Yeah, Rob, and I totally agree. I think these key issues you just mentioned resonated with voters. I mean, we had a candidate in the city council district for the 50th Mid-Island seat who was a massive proponent of speed cameras. When he was running for mayor, Sal Albanese went on record and said he wanted to lobby Albany people and these legislators to get more speed cameras on Staten Island. He was for allowing non-citizens to vote in municipal elections. Um, soon to be uh, minority leader Joe Borelli, his opponent was a complete radical leftist loony. She was all over Twitter talking bad about the police, calling the people she wished to represent misogynistic, racist Trump supporters. I mean, read the room. You're seeking election in what I would say is the last bastion for freedom in New York City, the Republican headquarters of New York City, Staten Island. Read the room. You're not going to win on a leftist agenda. I'm so glad that our Republican candidates and our Republican electeds have such a conservative sense to them where they're going to appeal to these voters. They're going to appeal to their constituents and make sure their voices are heard. They're going to make sure they're fighting for these people, whether it's at the city level, the state level, or federal level. And that's what we need right now in Staten Island more than ever. We need people to hear the voices of the people they represent, 
come together and, and vote for that. I mean, it was shown through this mayoral election that the people of Staten Island are done with one-party control in New York City and New York State. Uh, Assemblyman Mike Tanousis made a great point. There was two roads in front of us, the road of freedom and the road of complete and total government control. And Staten Island on Tuesday came out and overwhelmingly chose freedom. Now, the mayoral race wasn't the outcome we wanted it to be, um, but I think the down-ballot success of Curtis Sliwa was something we've never seen before in this city. And I kind of want to open that up to the, to the room here. When it comes to down-ballot success, what do you guys think is the most impactful way that a top-ticket candidate can reach out to people that are underneath him on the ballot, create alliances, and make sure the bases unify and come together on election day and vote red down the line? So the answer to that question isn't so simple. Because uh, I think this year was a uh, one of those political oddity years where the uh, the circumstances were so unique to uh, the situation that it caused uh, people to uh, switch party lines and, and, and support candidates that they would not have traditionally supported. I think uh, that's evident in the fact that uh, in addition to picking up two seats in the New York City Council that were long held by Democrats. Um, and if you look, the, the Democrats that they, that, they, uh, that they were up against uh, were further left than Democrats who had previously held the seat. Um, and so that doesn't necessarily mean, I just want people to understand that when we're talking about this, we're not talking about candidates that went further to the right than traditional Republicans have gone. These are candidates that uh, may have been moderate Republicans and did so successful uh, did such a, a successful job in the races they ran in just because of the fact that the messaging that they were using resonated with average everyday New Yorkers. And so you look at um, the Vicky Palladino race, she was up against Tony Avella, who uh, for all intents and purposes, uh, you know, up until this election was a, a moderate Democrat. Uh, he was a member of the, uh, of the uh, uh, IDC when he was in the state Senate uh, years ago. And, uh, you know, caucused with them and, and until he lost his seat. But, um, but even in uh, Brooklyn, in the Ina Vernikov race, uh, she was up against uh, somebody who I would consider to be a, a moderate Democrat. Um, and voters reacted to uh, the Republicans' messaging, um, which was, uh, you know, pro-law and order, anti-mandate, uh, and they they handedly voted for. It. I mean, every election that we that we that we won in New York City, uh, it was a landslide for the Republicans. But it, it's not just uh, it's not just Republican and Democrats that that voted down the line. I think it was uh, it was Democrats that had came over and voted for Republicans. And we see that in um, in Brooklyn and in Queens, where uh, the Democrats that had won were cross-endorsed by the Republican Party, and they had received on election night the most votes on the Republican line uh, and not the, the Democrat line, which is where they would traditionally receive it. So it's not, it, I, I think it had less this cycle to do with the um, the top of ticket carrying people through because we saw victories in parts of the city we hadn't previously seen them. I think, yes, that definitely is owned by uh, Curtis Sliwa for going out to those communities and campaigning, campaigning with those candidates. 
but at the end of the day, it had more to do with messaging and uh, the Republican Party's return to common sense, uh, no nonsense messaging, which uh, you know I think really resonated with voters across the board, not just in New York City but Long Island and in the Hudson Valley as well. Yeah, and that's a great point, Pete. I think what you said, especially about this Vicky Palladino race, real quick, I want to give a shout out to Nando Acosta. He's done a fantastic job for that race. Um, Vicky, you've got a great guy in him. Keep him close. Uh, he's great at recruiting, and he made sure to get the job done in Whitestone. So huge congratulations to him as well as Vicky. But I think that Vicky Palladino race showed that people are tired of traditional career politicians in New York City. They want people that are going to represent their community. They want people that they see in the grocery stores that they're rubbing shoulders with every day who are going to come out and make sure that the communities are well represented, that the communities are fighting for law and order. Nobody wants to live in a neighborhood where they have to lock their doors twice to make sure they're not getting broken into. They don't like seeing their cars getting broken into. They don't like seeing cops being berated on the street. These people want the police to be respected and they want their law enforcement to be top priority because that's exactly who you're going to call when things go wrong. You don't call your local social worker when somebody's breaking into your house. You don't do that. You call 911 and you pray and hope they send the biggest, strongest policeman or policewoman to come and save you. So I think the people throughout the city realized this. They saw what the left was pushing. They saw what these Democrats were pushing, and they didn't buy into it. And we saw that throughout the city, especially here on Staten Island. So when it comes to endorsements, we really saw some surprising ones. I know we touched on it earlier. Um, the PBA went ahead and endorsed Sal Albanese here in Staten Island. Uh, I think they endorsed some other Democrats throughout the New York City area that clearly weren't the most law and order friendly candidates. Um, and we saw them lose, which is relatively interesting. Um, I think that just goes to show that sometimes these unions may not be in touch with the people that are working for them. I know Staten Island has an immense population of DSNY, police officers, firemen, that came out and went against their union endorsements and voted for Republicans and voted for these candidates that maybe not have been endorsed by their unions. What do we think that means for these unions and even for these politicians that want to appeal to these people going forward? So I actually don't think that it means much of anything now moving forward. I, I think you're right, Bobby, that these unions are out of touch with who are actually the members of their union. You know, the problem really comes down to the fact that these union leaders are really the Democrat supporters themselves as opposed to their members. So I don't think moving forward, it's going to matter much who these endorsements really come from or uh, rather, I should say, who really has these endorsements, because I think what you're going to start seeing is a trend where the majority of the members are actually opposite to what the union executives are backing. You know, like you just said, we, we do here have on Staten Island a very large population of, of residents that are city workers. The Democrats here on Staten Island are actually more conservative than regular Democrats uh, throughout the city, so they actually vote Republican. And I think it's going to start increasing more and more in the future, especially now that you're seeing such a turn on the city workers with these mandates that are going on. I mean, the, what's going on right now with the DSNY is absolutely disgusting. 
and it's just going to keep going. And, you know, Mayor Adams, Mayor-elect Adams, I can't believe I'm even saying that, but he is actually going to be pushing also for these mandates. He already said that he wants them. So it's just going to continue to be a wave of targeting these city employees whose unions are so out of touch with what they really represent and what they uh, what their values stand for. Yeah, and you brought up a great point, Joe, about these mandates and especially with these unions and their stances on them. Um, these members, these city workers, they hate mandates. They don't want to be told, I need to get this jab, I need to get this shot in order to make a living for my family. And I think we've seen that resoundingly. But this brings up my next question. 2020 and 2021 really showed us a lot. And I think politically, the issues in this cycle were mandates and were healthcare freedom and medical freedom and the right to choose what goes in your body. So looking forward to 2022, what do you think is the key issues that we need to focus on here in Staten Island and the Republican movement throughout the city and state even need to focus going into these state assembly races, these congressional races, and the gubernatorial race. So I think what was just overwhelmingly just proven this past Tuesday, not just even locally, but nationally, I mean, the gubernatorial race in Virginia just basically smacked down the Democratic Party's nationwide mandate and infringement on Americans' freedoms and trying to get involved in their education where you have a gubernatorial candidate and Terry McAuliffe telling parents that they shouldn't have a say in their children's education. I think that's absolute BS. And I think that, that the American people proved that it's actual BS. And um, I, I, I honestly think that that is going to continue to happen and evolve. I, I, I do think, going back to the last point, I do think that there's a disconnect. I managed people in the 1199 union for 11 years. And when President Trump ran in 2016, you had their union head sending out mailers with Hillary Clinton and Max Rose's face on it. Um, and, and even in 2018, and, and the union workers overwhelmingly were telling me they're not voting for these people because they're so disconnected from reality. It's, it's astonishing. And I think they really need to do some research and really need to get back to reality as to what issues affect the American people, what issues affect Staten Islanders. And I think that, I think taxes, I think speed cameras, I think uh, infringement on Americans' rights, on Staten Islanders' rights, education, better roads, better bridges, infrastructure. I mean, I, I think that, I think these are all issues that, that the electeds took their message to the voters and the voters showed up and, and they overwhelmingly sent the message in Virginia. And I do, I think the Democratic Party's in disarray. I mean, they, they, they're, they're working on bills right now. They can't even get them passed uh, because they have a problem in their own party with progressives trying to take the party in a different way, ultimately undermining the Biden administration. Um, and I think President Trump's run in 2016 woke a lot of people up, and it woke even more people up in 2021 locally because of these mandates. You can't infringe on people's freedoms. It's what our nation was founded on. It's what farmers grabbed pitchforks to go fight the, 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 the British, this royal army, because people wanted to live their lives and not live under you know this, this rule. They wanted to live free. And, and that is what's going to affect our elections. I think it's going to carry through to 20, 
one 22, uh, 22 election cycle, and we just need to make sure that uh, that our candidates are, 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 are focusing on those issues and fighting for our freedoms. Yeah, Rob, that's a great point. And that kind of brings up what I wanted to close with here. Um, so keeping it brief, how can the America First movement move forward with this? Um, I think to touch on Rob's point, we saw these Trump voters come out in Virginia, come out in New Jersey, come out in all local races. I think we need to realize that this is the base. These are the people that these people want. We need to work forward to push our country first, to push our country's ideals first, and make sure our local constituents are represented the way they want to be represented. I'll just say last last word. Edward Durr from New Jersey, a truck driver, he spent $135 in his campaign, unseated the Senate president in New Jersey. If that doesn't send an overwhelming message to the entire country, I don't know what else does. People need to get involved. They need to come, volunteer, help us get the message out. If you want to be a part of the Republican Party um, and, and just... The American First movement is not going anywhere. Um, you know, I, I do think that we do need to bring people into our party and, 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 and work with people and educate them and, and, and really just have them see that, uh, you know, the Republican Party doesn't stand for this right-wing extreme nonsense that, that gets spewed out there. Uh, we just we all just want to wake up in the mornings, be with our families, live the American dream, go to work collect a decent paycheck, not pay $400 a gallon for gas uh, because this president is incompetent, and you know just, just really work together and, and, and enjoy our freedoms. And I, I think that that race in Jersey really sent a message to the entire uh, country. So I'll build off of what Rob had said. Uh, I think a lot of it has to do with uh, finding messaging that resonates with uh, regular Americans. And the important thing to understand about that is regular Americans isn't just, you know, the people that live in cities. It's not just the people that live on farms, um, but it's the people like that truck driver who turn around and see that there's some problem with government um, and uh, elitism and they challenge it. Uh, and I think that's that's so much of what the America First movement represents is just a challenge to uh, elitism on both sides, Republican and Democrat uh, and it has to do with improving quality of life. It has to do with reducing crime. It has to do with strengthening the economy so that people can put food on their table without having to worry about um, how they're going to do it. Uh, you know, a, a, a prosperous America is a very happy America. And I think at the end of the day, uh, you know, the Republican Party has been more on that message over the years than Democrats have been. Sometimes we get a little bit distracted and we may get off of that message, but I think as long as we come back to that, and, and this election was a great example of it, I think next year is going to be an even better example of it. Um, as long as we come back to that type of messaging uh, that places average Americans first, uh, we're going to continue to ride a red wave, um, you know, in, in the next couple of cycles. And I, I think the the first concrete step to achieving that is going to be flipping both the House and the Senate next year, which is very doable. Uh, not for nothing, you didn't need last Tuesday's election results to uh, to make that obvious. I think we had a feeling for a while that this was going to happen. Um, you know, from the 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 first three months of the Biden administration, 
Uh, Americans are pissed off, and for good reason, and it is going to be one of those elections where they vote because of their wallet, and they vote because of their, their safety, and they vote because of their uh, security. So I think, just like Pete was saying, and also like Rob was saying, I think the big thing really is just reaching out and really bringing the point to the everyday common American. I, I think it's now at a time more than ever where the average American is really the one that's affected the most and is feeling the ramifications of what's been going on with this current administration, definitely. The Biden administration is doing a horrible job. I mean, the gas prices by my house are $4. We're, you're going to see next year that we're going to continue to ride this red wave that's happening. And I think what we saw on Tuesday for the election day, not just in New York State, although in New York State, it was amazing. We did so many things around the entire state. There were seats we picked up. There were uh, Republicans that were put into office in spots that we didn't think we would initially have. Uh, but you saw it also nationally. I mean, we had the Virginia election, big win in Virginia. New Jersey was a real nail biter, almost took it there. I mean, we even have a Republican DA now in Seattle, which obviously, if anybody's been paying attention to what's been going on in recent time with Seattle, Seattle is one of the more liberal places you'll ever encounter. And we got a Republican elected to office there. So I think the biggest takeaway is that the America first push is a real serious thing. I think Tuesday showed that. And I think what's going on now, coming up with the congressional and, and Senate races for next year, I think you're going to see more of that push, more of these seats flipped, and more and more of your everyday average American coming out and really getting involved and really getting uh, – energized for these elections because it's them at the end of the day that are getting affected you know the entire elitism of everything they're just very disconnected that's the whole thing and i think like pete said it the republican messaging has been the best to really relate and key in on these average Americans. And I think what Biden and his administration, other Democrats, I think they're so far disconnected from what's really going on right in front of their face that as long as they keep going on with what they're doing, they're just going to hurt themselves in the long run and basically do the work for the Republicans. So I think that's really what the key is to this America first, is making sure that we energize our base, which are every day, your average Joes, your middle America, uh, your middle-income, everyday Americans. So I think one thing is very clear, and it's that the America First agenda, these America First patriots, they're not going anywhere. This movement is just getting started. This movement was started and put in the forefront by President Donald Trump, especially people now spearheading it like Matt Gates, Lauren Boebert, Madison Cawthorn, these young voices who are firebrand. They're not silenced. They're being outspoken, and they are going against the media and these elite establishments who are trying to censor them and quiet them down. And we're seeing direct results of these people trying to be canceled and these people trying to be censored. I mean, we have guys like James O'Keefe who is going out of his way to try to expose these things, to try to do proper journalism. And what does the FBI go and do? They raid the houses of his journalists. But that's another story. We need to focus right now on making sure the truth is put out there, making sure the everyday people, like Joe said, are out there aware of this message and realize this is the only way for our republic to continue 
and in my opinion, our republic to survive because it's hanging on by a thread. And we need people that are going to unify and make sure that doesn't happen. And the America First agenda in the Republican Party is the only way we can do that. So thank you so much to my guests for joining me today. I plan on having all three of them on again in the future. Um, Just great discussion. As always, God bless America, and may God ensure the safety of this republic. Thanks for tuning in.